I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you, Luke. How are we doing this morning? Good. We got some fire this morning. <clears throat> we get to teach this passage that started off great. I'm writing to you and all these wonderful things. I love you. You're so great. I love you. You're doing great. I love you. And then middle way through, it's like, stop. And also this very like harsh, specific warning, do not love the world. And it makes me think of parenting. Parenting is this. It's like this mixture of teaching and warning, encouraging and warning, like uh, I have four boys, you guys know this, you're, at some point, if you're not already, you'll get sick of hearing about boy stories, but for now, that's all I have, because that's all the Lord has given me, but there's this commercial out right now about Michael Jordan, you see these little kids dunking in the house, oh, I want to be like Mike, and I'm like, that's a great commercial, until you see your kid try to live it out in a way that is not safe whatsoever, so Ozzy gets on the tallest counter we have in our house, and there's a hoop up, and I'm like, what is going on? I hear some noises in the kitchen. I go out there, and he's standing at the highest counter, and he's jumping off, trying to do the full windmill dunk, and he misses every time, lands way down, almost hits his head, gets back up. He wants to be like Mike. And I said, dude, you are not Mike. At your very best, you're going to be about 5'8". Killer personality, great smile, but you are not Mike. Do not do that. Other moments throughout the day, Ozzy, I love you so much. You are the greatest gift to me and this family. That's parenting. What we see with the Apostle John here is this weird, like, why did this pastor text me from redemption? Man, this seems like a lot of stuff to jam into one sermon. Yes, but unless you think about it through the lens of parenting or discipleship, you're always kind of playing both sides of that, encouragement and warning. So that's what we're doing today. We're encouraging and we're warning. Here's my prayer as I think about us, just us. That you would walk out of here with more of an awareness of the season of life you're in, because he addresses that. That you'd walk out of here a little more scared of your instinct to face that which comes at us all out there. Because I think we're all a little overconfident in our ability to know what we're supposed to be scared of. And this passage is going to scare us all a little bit. And then one practical tool I hope we all leave here this morning with to face the world that John's talking about. So that's what we're doing. Encouragement and warning. Very simple, very profound though. So let's pray and ask the Spirit to be with us in this morning together. You're the perfect Father, so we ask that you father us, you parent us in this moment through your word, that we would be encouraged, that we would be, be more sure, more steady, more confident, not in our own ability, but in you who is at work in us because of the time we spend here this morning. And at the same time, God, warn us, exhort us, uh, make our eyes see as your eyes see the true dangers in this world. We'll help us walk out of here a little more scared of that which is coming for us all, the world and its desires. God, do both by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. So encouragement and warning. First one, encouragement. Here's what it's encouragement for any season of life. We've got an encouragement. We've got this for each season of life. So let's just read what our man Luke just read. Very simply, chapter 2, verse 12 through verse 14 says this. And it's in like, if you have a Bible in front of you versus an app, it's kind of centered. So it's different, meaning this is kind of a, a different portion of this entire book. Verse 12, I'm writing to you. Little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Pause right there. What is happening? John is about this. This whole book, if you're to summarize, God is light, God is love, God is life. And he just circles through these different images and illustrations to train up the early church that he was an elder over. He was called John the Elder in a lot of circles. He was this wise old elder towards the end of his life. God is love, God is light, God is life. And then he pauses. It's like he's in the middle of reading under whatever light he has. And his heart just spills out on paper for those that he loves. And he just starts kind of in a, on a tangent writing how much he loves and adores the church. It'd be like me if I got sent off to another place and I thought of North Mountain and I'm writing instruction. Here's what I remembered. They need help here and they need help here. And then I just remembered my affection for you. And gosh, I picture Marcia Silliman and Casey Reyes and these people that I love dearly. And I just start to... Ah, just remember how much you mean to me, how much, that's what he's doing here. It's like a off, which is a reminder that the Bible is not some cold calculated set of principles dropped down from on high from God. It's divinely inspired. The Holy Spirit, men inspired by the Holy Spirit took a pen and wrote, and he's writing this letter. And now we get to sense his heart come through in this letter. So a few people ask some questions on here like, uh, why the repetition? Just I put them all on a screen just so we could kind of see them. So here's what he says. Little children, your sins are forgiven. Fathers, you know who, am for, who is from the beginning. Young men, you have overcome the evil one. Children, you know the father. Fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. And young men, you are strong. And the word of God is in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Why so much repetition? And you go to commentaries and no one can agree. Here's what I think. When you love something, someone... You just kind of get repetitive. It's not, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason. There's some beauty and symmetry to this, but I think he's just in this moment where his love for the church is spilling out onto paper. I think it's also tied to this, encouragement and warning. He just warned us last week. You say you're a Christian, but do you keep his commands, and do you love like Jesus, especially those Christians around you? And then he comes in this encouragement moment, and then he's going to follow up with a warning, a very stark warning. But he's in this moment. It's like, I love all of you. But the content of this section here, what do we need to notice? A few things. Stage of life and the assurance for Christians. So the five things that he says, we're just, it's on the screen there. Your sins are forgiven. You know him, Jesus, who is from the beginning. You have overcome the evil one, Satan. You know the Father in heaven. And you are strong, and the word of God is in you. Those are stackable attributes of the Christian life. Those are true. But then you notice the little children, the fathers, the young men, the children, the fathers. It's sort of broken down by stage 
of life. Now, what is he talking to? Is he talking to literally small kids in this room and then younger men, the 20-something-year-old guys, and then just the dads? Probably not, because those words fathers and the word children could be used just in a unisex sort of way. What most people think, and I would agree, is he's talking to the different developments of the Christian life. Children, babies, toddlers, a little bit bigger children, young men. He's broken it down into three categories. Kids, young men, fathers. Young children, young men, fathers. So as you read it through that lens, he has different things to say to different people. Let me just read now through that lens. Children, here's what they're told. Those of you younger in your faith, and that is not an age thing. That's a faith journey thing. Here's what you need to be reminded over and over again. Your sins are forgiven. This is the only time it's a passive verb, meaning it's being done to someone. So children, you just need to be reminded, young in the faith, what God has done for you, what has happened on your behalf because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, you are forgiven completely. There is no more striving to earn whatever you, thought you think you had to earn with God. You're clear. You're good. You're forgiven. And he also says, and you know the Father. And then he goes on to young men. Young men, he has way more of a, okay, the passivity is over. Some of you say, Amen. It's time to work. Here's what he says to the young men, the middle of your faith journey. You have overcome the evil one. And you are strong, and the word of God is in you, and you have overcome the evil one. It's all about victory. And stacking up victory after victory after victory. Not ultimate victory, where one day we're sitting in this room and we've reached perfection, and we are the non-sinner in this church. But you have a resume, a history, a chapters in your life of victory that you can look back to. And then finally, fathers, which is super fascinating. Look how he ends with the success in the Christian life. You know him who is from the beginning. And then he repeats the exact same thing. You know him who is from the beginning. It starts with relationship as we're forgiven. It ends with relationship as we advance into maturity and perfection where we know the father and that's all that matters. That's the Christian journey. Now, some people may ask, is it biblical or helpful to even categorize Christians? Because I could see how this could get wonky real quick. We got varsity level, JV level, don't ever try out again level. <laughs> and I would just say, I think the Bible does it quite a bit. Book of Corinthians, Paul says this about the communion moment. They're having the Lord's Supper. And he says, there's some divisions among you, but it's good for there to be divisions among you so that we might see who the genuines are amongst you. Meaning on a baseline level, we should start to see like Christian versus non-Christian based off our life and our actions. There should be a division. Now, none of us has the job, the Holy Spirit, to walk around and figure out who that is. But the Lord is saying through his word, it's good that that division begins. And then you read the book of Hebrews. And now we got Christians and non-Christians. How do we divide up Christians? The author of the book of Hebrews says this. Gosh, you guys, you should be teachers at this point. Like, what are you doing? You should be the ones teaching others. And you got to go back to drink milk when you should be eating steak as a way to say, there's this development that you should be here, but I'm watching you and you're here. And that's not a good thing. 
Even Jesus himself, his disciples are fighting. Who's the best? Who's the best? Who's the best? He's like, what are you knuckleheads doing? Who's the greatest? He says, do you want to be great in my kingdom? Here's the requirement. Be a servant. So that gets you here. Great. I want to be that. He's like, do you want to be the greatest? Like, if great's here, the greatest is above that. The way you be the greatest is be a slave to all. So even Jesus has a way to say, yes, there are divisions in this Christian journey, which means all of us who have faith in Jesus and have started following are somewhere along the journey. Xavier Salazar, uh, you'll see him later on today, but he's working on a lot of stuff for our fall sort of curriculum and classes about just helping you follow Jesus. And a big part of that is this thing called stage theory, which is trying to break down the Christian life into stages so that we helpfully know where we're at. It's like walking into the mall and you're like, you see the little screen there and they got the star. You are here. It's helpful to know, okay, I'm here. So I don't act like I'm here or act like I'm here. I act like I'm here. But there's this chart that I found that's pretty helpful to sort of break down. It uses words that we might not all like, but four stages. So I'll just, in a simple way, the top stage is non-Christian. And then you got young children, young men, fathers. So this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of church history. The first one would be an awakening. And the description is not yet follower of Jesus. They're beginning to sense God in reality. That might be some of you. Like you're here because you're sensing. And the thing in your life that you're aware of in terms of the dark side is these gross sins. Like obvious, I shouldn't have murdered that person. That was, that's my bad. <laughs> then you move into a relationship with Jesus called a beginner. Purgation, I don't know, it sounds very Catholicly. It's just like where you start to work out the dark side of yourself. I'm not talking about purgatory afterlife. But you begin to follow and practice spiritual disciplines and purge sin. You sense God in prayer. And now you're aware of your conscience sins, meaning when you act out in a way towards your wife, towards your in laws, towards your ex, in a way that you know is bad, it starts to eat at you. That's the beginning level. Young children, you're there. Illumination or the proficience. It's a pretty. You're starting to mature, young men, young ladies. You're starting to figure this out. You begin to have a mind of Christ, and you bring the mind and the body into harmony with God's will of obedience, and you sense God in your prayer way more than you used to. Now, this is where it gets kind of potentially hippy-dippy for some of you. You're not just worried about the sins that are obvious to you and others. You're cussing. You're gluttony. You're drinking. You're greed. It's like you go down below the surface to the root of why you are the way you are, and you start to work through some of that. Children don't do that. Boy children, from experience, don't do that at all. What did you do? I did this. Why did you do it? I've never got a response once from any of my four sons. <laughs> what do you mean? What's, why I did it? <laughs> it was the obvious thing I was going to do in that moment. Christian growth does not let you stay at the level of my 12-year-old, 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 5-year-old. There has to be a sense of why am I doing this and dealing with the sin beneath the surface. And the maturity, according to a lot of church histories, we would call union with Christ, the perfect, what a word, or the mature. It's described as you experience union with God and you abide in a ceaseless flow of awareness of God's inness and incarnate his love to others. 
And now you begin to see the world through not just fruit, but the trust structures at play in every situation, every country, every political party, every home life, every homeschool co-op. And you walk in and you don't just see, this is a safe place because I'm an American. I'm with red state people. You walk in and you think, there's a lot of stuff at play here. What's pulling me in a direction that's not helpful? What's pulling all of us in a direction? And you live with deep union, abiding with Christ and love towards others. That is maturity. That's the goal. And here's the other thing. That's what heaven is. Heaven is more than cheeseburgers and beer with zero calories. It's I'm always in union with God like Christ was in human form through his spirit. And that always flows out into love towards others. Always. So here's two questions for us. The first one is which stage are you in? Again. This can be used in very unhelpful ways, very judgy ways. If you're like a heavy conscious person like my wife who kind of always like assumes the worst, like I don't want to crush anyone. But I do think Jesus wants us to mature into Christ-likeness. And if you have no idea of like when you move along the spectrum, it's a little like you're a map without understanding where you're at on this. Which one are you? Are you a child? In the faith, are you a young person in the faith? Again, not age. Are you a father or mother in the faith? Which one are you? You're like, we all know the goal. Now the question is, am I a child or a young person? Let me just walk back through the encouragement John gives to maybe illuminate this a little more. Say you're a child in the faith. You're young in the faith. I think our church is mostly children and young men and women with a few sweet gifts of fathers and mothers, a few. But we're in that, those first camps. If you're a child in the faith, he says, your sins are forgiven and you know God. You just need to remember, you've been forgiven. Some of you haven't graduated out of that phase where like you're still wrestling through with all that. Like, I was thinking about this the other day. It's Pride Month, obviously. Everywhere you go, every commercial is about something dealing with pride. And there's like a political rhetoric way to talk about it, which online just keeps going, that I don't think is helpful for the Christian environment. But the reality is, the secular worldview does not have a category for divine wrath or divine forgiveness. It just has be you. The reality is people living out of a secular worldview at some point might come to an awakening where they sense, I've done bad. And what do they need? Forgiveness. So in our like fighting, bickering, and political co-opted rhetoric that this world is, Christians, remember this. What we offer at the beginning of this journey is forgiveness that a lot of people don't think they need right now. But at some point, by the Spirit, it's the same way it happened in our life. Not because we chose it or earned it or deserved it or thought our way to it. We just were awakened to the reality that I need forgiveness. And we have it in Christ. Amen? I remember watching a really gifted young kid. He's in his 20s. He's in Brooklyn now doing video stuff. But he became a Christian in my ministry years ago. And I remember him walking through the halls of church, just his big smile on his face. It's like when you could tell someone's replaying a joke they just told in their head. And it's like they're loving their life right now. 
I'm like, dude, what's up? And he said, you know that feeling when you're forgiven? That's the best. And he just kind of skips along. That's what children need. We don't graduate out of that, but we need to start there. You are forgiven. And the second stage, growing in your faith, young men. It moves from just a passive receiving of that which Christ has done into an active participation in this faith. Young men, you are stronger than you think you are. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world is what you need to remember. What encouragement do you need based off this? You're stronger than you're giving yourself credit for. I had this really illuminating conversation with another pastor. So most pastors are trying to disciple people. He's discipling these young men. A lot of the people we disciple are in counseling now because counseling is pretty saturated in culture. It's fine. But counselors and pastors kind of are working in the same space. And he told me this. He's like, I just had the most frustrating conversation with a guy I'm discipling. He came to me like, I just had the greatest aha moment with my counselor. And he said, what was it? He told me, you don't have to choose porn. And my pastor friend was like, that's all I've been telling you for years now. You don't have to choose this. The spirit is in you. You are strong with the spirit. You don't have to. But he goes to this counselor and they tell him this thing. It's like, I've never heard this before. Apostle John says, you are stronger than you give yourself credit for. You have come further than you realize is another way to think about it. Like think about us, like a few ways. Remember how far you've come. Think about your family of origin. And our goal is not to just be a better family than what we came from every time. Although that's kind of how family stuff is described these days. But some of us came from garbage. Some of us came from people just trying to figure it out. And you're beyond that. And it's not because you, it's because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So you think about your besetting sins, those that which controlled you and owned you and identified you completely. And you've moved on. You are stronger than you give yourself credit for. Think of all your former ways of navigating relationships that were unhealthy. John says you're strong. You've overcome a lot more than you give yourself credit for. And one of my fears as a pastor is we live in a victimized culture big time. And there's true victimhood. But not everything is that. And if we, um, if we live in that, we never get to sense this, like, I have come far. And not like, but like, man, God, you've really done a lot in my life. Young men, you are stronger than you realize. Remember what the Lord has brought you through. Remember all the victories. There's still more to come, but he's brought you through some stuff. And then finally, fathers, mothers, Return the faith. What does he say to you? He says the same thing twice. Simply remember this. You know him who is from the beginning. And a little bit of that's kind of like, wow, wow. But I have a fascination with growing older. My first job was in a nursing home. My mom owned a restaurant in Sun City, the retirement town. Me and Chandler and Xavier put on a chapel service for a memory care facility. I just am fascinated by like, what that stage of life entails, it entails a lot of loss, a lot of caring for your parents, a lot of stuff that, like, 
at the same time, a lot of like losing significance, success, identity that once sort of stabilized you, you think. And we have people in that season, entering that season, trying to figure out that, well, who am I if I'm not this? If I'm not this? If I'm just somebody taking care of my mom in this, John would say, but you know him. You know God. And you know him in a way that us children and young men wish we knew. You know him. Like, as I think about our church, like, I want the older folks to give of their resources and time and mentoring and all that. But your presence is the greatest gift this church and any church can Old, wise saints who have walked with the Lord for years through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and they stand on this side of it and they say, I know him. Tell me about your life. I know Jesus. I know him deeply. I know him through highs and I know him through lows. I know him in my pain and I know him in my prosperity. You are so special. Like this is, all this young people, we have the issues we're trying to figure out. I want to find somebody who likes me. I get it. And you want to get married and you realize, man, this is not what I expected. How do I figure this thing out? And then you want kids and then you want. But on the other end, just know, like they're trying to figure this out too. And what they have to offer you is a presence that we could only aspire to have that they walk in communion, in union with the Father. John wants you to be encouraged, fathers and mothers. And then he goes, after this beautiful thing, he could have ended the letter, and then he jumps right into, and here's my warning for you all. Why does he jump to this? Here's the second thing, a warning, I'll say it this way, for all seasons. As I've thought about this, he has this beautiful sort of stage theory, like here's what Christian growth looks like. And then he flips to verse 15 and he goes after this warning. Here's the reality. This is a universal warning. So those fathers and mothers who are walking with Jesus, the warning is still true in your life. Verse 15, here's the warning for any of us in any season of life. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And this world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What does he mean by world? The world is used in a few different ways in the New Testament. World like created. He created the world, the sun, the moon, the stars. It's also used to talk about mankind. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, people, that he gave his one and only son. And then often it's talking about the world. Do not be conformed to the world, which is the operating system of the world. It's the unseen realm. Satan, demons, and all of our sideways desires inside of us all working together form the world. It's the operating system of the world. And he says, do not love the world. Why not? The next part says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't have both. You can't love the world, love the Father. If you're loving the world, you're not loving the Father, and you're not loving others. You can have love of the world, love of self, but you can't have love of the Father. Do not love the world. We have the sermon planning meeting I told you about. We meet, and I asked one of the older folks, like, how does this verse hit you? Is it like the same as it hit you when you were younger? And they said, 
I'm just reminded at this age that I, it's so easy to take this verse, do not love the world, and apply it to the people in my life. And I still have to sit here and read it and apply it to me. So here's John's warning for all of us. You've been a Christian a minute. You've been a Christian 50 years. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And then he goes on to describe it, verse 16. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Now, some of you, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, or if you opened up your Bible a few times in your life, that sounds very familiar. It's because it's how Satan started his system here on earth. Genesis 3. Here's the very first time Satan got to work. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. That would be her flesh. And it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Sandy Mason, wise old Sandy, says Satan is not creative. He's just effective. He's been doing the same thing over and over and over again. There's a desire in the flesh, something in the body. There's a desire in my eyes. I see something. And there's something that that thing is going to give me that's not the love of the Father or trust in the Father. And he's been doing it ever since. And the Apostle John says, do not love the world. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride in life. Now, how does this apply to you all in this room and me in this room? Here's sort of a simple to more complex way to think about it. The most simple way to think about it is bad stuff in this world. Sexual appetite not confined by anything. There's something in my flesh. I see it, and I want it. I think it's going to give me something. It's the same old song and dance. Food. Food's a big one for me. At the end of a hard day, what's going to make me feel better? Prayer? Nah, debatable. <laughs> Union with my Father in Heaven? Nah, I don't know. Chocolate crunch cookie dough. Dry. I mean, go for it. We all have our stuff. We have something that we think is going to fill us up, and it doesn't. Here's one of the best ones in the Christian world. Gossip. None of us are killing it. We can all just agree. Us parents are like, um, so how do, I know I'm not killing, but how do I like make me feel like I'm killing it? It's called gossip. And you talk about ways in which people are below you. So you're no longer at the bottom of the totable, all those turds that you just talked about in your prayer time. I've just got some prayers, you know. Jenny, she's just really struggling with her anger towards those sweet little kids. And can we just lift up sweet Jenny and her, you know, little kids? That's all the same. It's something I see, I want, it's going to make me feel better, and I do it. And it's the same thing over and over again. And there's no uh, off-ramp in life where you get out of the way of the world coming at you. So there's bad stuff. That we're... Here's the next, the good stuff in life that's like, I didn't even notice that's what that was. Like success in life. Like I could plant this church for a few different reasons. One of them would be so that people think I'm something. And I could have the exact same results with very different motives. Depending on what's going on with the desires of my flesh, the desires of my eyes. We can parent with very different motives. 
kids give us a sense of like security and control and we can grab on. And we no longer have to trust the Father. We get to do all this stuff and we can look really good and create these really good kids. And it can all be done with poor motives. It's summertime. We're all traveling. Full disclosure, I'm heading out after the service to go travel again. However, at some point, travel and experience in this life can be wrong if it's love of the world, if it's desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, something to give me pride. And maybe it's you travel better than other people your age. I go to Europe, they go camping. (laughs) (laughs) Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes are not good. Bad stuff, good stuff. Here's the thing that hit me in that sermon plan. One person said this, and there's also this. The world has the same system that we're all trying to battle against, whether we've named it or not. And whether people in the group said this. Here's what's at play in the world. No matter what political group you're in, sexual orientation you're in, this is our world right now, is this mantra. Do not tell me what to do. Period. The most far-right people in my life, In them is a sense of nobody tells me what to do. The most liberal, self-expressive, whatever sort of expression in gender and sexuality you want, nobody tells me what to do. Which is fascinating that the opposite sides of the world are all coming back to the same origin story. Do not tell me what to do. That's the world that all of us have to live in. If I had to sum it up, like, that's the thing we have to wrestle with. Like, in this moment, is this a, somebody telling me what to do and I'm fighting against it? And then you got to figure out, like, was well, it God telling me? But that's what all of us are at. No one tells me what to do. We do not submit. We do not conform. I do what I want to do all the time with my money, with my time, with my resources. I'm in charge. That's the world we live in. It's different than days of old. Like, self-restraint hundreds and hundreds of years ago, used to be the ideal. Whether it's the Greeks and like self-restraint of the flesh and all that your body wants and the mind is utmost. Or hundreds and hundreds of years where it's like family, self-control for the sake of family and nation and country was ideal. That is gone. It's I want to be me and you can't tell me what I can be. That's the world we live in. How are you doing fighting against that world? Do not conform to that world anymore. Verse 17 says, here's what's going to happen to that world, by the way. That world is passing away along with its desires. Like I was just doing some research, like how much has actually passed away in this world? 19 world civilizations have slipped into oblivion. 19. I'm not talking about like my junior high crush that slipped away and I can't remember her last name. I'm talking about people that owned entire continents are now no more. Why? Because John says this, the desires of the world are passing away. And the desires in your heart, especially those ones that say, don't tell me what to do, are passing away. And they will not last. Only one thing lasts forever. He who does, verse 17, and the world is passing away along with his desires, but what will last forever? Whoever does the will of God abides forever. How do we bring this together? How do I grow as a Christian and how do I fight the world? 
he who does the will of God. How do I move from child to young man to father? He who does the will of the father. How do I fight the world? He who does the will of the father. Period. You're like, it sounds so simple. Jesus put it into a prayer for us. I was shocked the other day I saw Jeopardy had the most basic Christian question ever asked. And nobody got it right. Matthew 6, 9 says this. Our Father which art in heaven, blank be thy name. Judgmental gasp. That's what I had. Just the same as you guys. What's the word there? What's after this? Hallowed be thy name. Your. Your. So here's the world we live in as Christians. And if you're not a Christian, you just get to listen to some family talk as we round up. We can like live our lives in a way that's just gasping at the world. How could they? I mean, Pride Month, have you seen it all? Or we could take serious the desire to grow into maturity. And at the center of that is this desire to do his will over and above my own. I don't care that non-Christians don't know that. It's shocking. But I care that Christians in this room actually take the rest of this prayer and pray it and live it. Not your will. Not your will. Not my will. His will be done. I read the other day, psychologists think you make about 35,000 semi-conscious decisions a day. Like, that's why, and you moms, it's like times a thousand. (laughs) How true that is? There's some truth in that. Here's reality. Here's what the Christian life is. Walking, and at some point, in some of those moments where you have a conscious decision to make, you get to decide, nobody tells me what to do. Or, not my will, but your will be done. And step by step, slowly and clunkily and stumbly, you grow into maturity until you're a father or a mother in the faith, and you can say, I know him. From the beginning. That's the Christian life. Encouragement for each season. A warning for us all and one practical tool. At some point today or this week, I want all of us to pray. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this very moment in my life as I make this decision. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being encouraging in real and deep and meaningful ways, you do not offer surface-level encouragement. You tell the children in this room that they are forgiven and that they know you. And you tell us, figuring out faith and trying to grow, that we have overcome and we are overcoming. And we are not what we used to be. And you tell the older saints in this room, those that are mature and an example to the rest of us, That though a lot of life seems and feels and is different than what it used to be, the essence of their relationship with you is sweeter, more profound than at any moment in their life. And they know you. And one day they'll see you face to face. So God, thank you for the encouragement. And thank you for just the reminder that we live in a world that is coming for us all. And we do not live by sight and by the desires of the flesh. We live by wanting to do the will of God. So help us as a church step out and say, not my will, but your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.